Brethren, let's lift our voice and just worship the Lord this morning. I perceive that this morning we are going to have a different kind of worship experience. Peter speaking to the multitude in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 3, verse 19, says, Repent in them that thy sins be forgiven thee, and the time of refreshing shall come in the presence of the Lord. I perceive that we are going to have a refreshing time this morning, a refreshing, different worship experience. Marebo Kusinde, brethren, let's just release ourselves into that presence. Mandea Cabrande, Masu Tabrande Kesinde, Rebo Sekebrande Makasande. Father, we have come for a refreshing time in your presence. Maruba Santaya, Mureba Santaya, Kase, Yeke, Remo Zataya Ramande, Marobo Sebranda Yakasande, Sekebrando Raba Santaya, Mando Masara Brunde Yakasekete. Zeke Brandurubuku Seke Brande Makasande, Roma Shatata Zakata, Zandaya, Mande Brokusinde. Father, we bless your name, we worship you, we worship you. Ma Seke Brande Moko Seke Brande Kasande, Maruba Sante Yaka Brande Yakasa. We worship by your presence, Ma Seke Brande Ketikiti, Mande Rebuku Seke Brande Yakasande Yakata. Father, we join our voices with the host of heaven to say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things. You created us. You created this meeting. Ah, for thy pleasure they are, and we created Marebo Sandeya Kata, Zate Marebo Zondeya, Rendeya Kasande Moreba Sakata. Father, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy to receive glory and honor. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise, we give you power. They all belong to you. Shabrone yakasa ta 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 ta. Sheke bruno kuseke brane kara. Manobo seke bande yakabrane mukusete. Receive glory and honor and power, Lord, for Thou created all things. Thou created all things for Thy pleasure. They are, they are, and we're created. Hallelujah, 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 and it shall be so in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen, Amen, Amen. Let's go to the next prayer point, Psalm 13, verse 3 to 5, Psalm number 13. Hallelujah. Amen. I perceive that we are going to have a very different kind of worship experience this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Psalm 13, verse 3 says, consider and hear me. The Lord will hear us this morning. Amen. For he is our God. He said, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. But in verse 14, he went up for he said, Let mine enemies, let mine enemies say, I have prevailed. my enemies say, I have prevailed against him. As in our case, bless our enemies who say they have prevailed against us. Hallelujah. 
The Lord is on our side. Our enemies cannot prevail against us. We have been praying and we believe and trust that the Lord is working regardless of what we see. Hallelujah. I heard in the news recently some people said, oh, we have been able to install a Muslim, Muslim together and it's going to be all over. The enemies will never, never say to us that they have prevailed against us in the name of Jesus. Let's lift up our voice this morning and say, Father, we bless your name for we know that you will lighten our eyes, you will lighten our way, you will hear us in this nation. All the prayer that we raise unto you, you will hear us and you answer from heaven and the enemies will never say that they have prevailed against us. Masafaya. Father, we trust your word. We believe in your word. We know that you are working. We know that you are at work. We know that you know what to do in every circumstances. And you are working. You neither sleep nor slumber. The Bible says you created all things. They are and were created for your pleasure. You couldn't have created the end of the earth to permit the enemy to take charge of it and begin to mock your children. Father, this morning we say, hear us, oh Lord. Hear us, lighten our ways, lighten our lives. Enlighten our darkness. Let us walk in the light of your countenance. Let's the enemy who say, I have prevailed against them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it shall be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 11. Jeremiah 20, 11. The Lord is a mighty one. Hallelujah. The Lord is with us. He is a mighty and terrible one. Therefore, our persecutors shall stumble and they shall not prevail. Say they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be gotten. Let us lift our voice and begin to begin to bring the word of God back to him. That Father, you are a mighty one. You are an awesome one, Father. Our persecutors shall stumble in every area of our lives, in our families, in our individual lives, in our respective individual lives, in our families, in our homes, in our nation. Those that persecute us will stumble. They will not prevail. They will greatly be ashamed. They will not prosper. Father, their everlasting confusion shall be with them. They, they shall never, never, never prosper against your people. They will not prevail against us. For you are a mighty, terrible one. The Lord is with us. You are our God. You are our God. You are God. We are your people. Father, Lord, you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Our enemies, our persecutors will always stumble. Persecutors of our homes. Persecutors of our destiny. Persecutors of our lives. Persecutors of our nation. Persecutors of our generation, of our children. They shall not prevail. They shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed. 
Mambrande Mandayakata Mambrande ye The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us as a mighty and awesome one. Ya bro no koto bro ne kata. Mambrande yakata. Remoko say, Father, we have this confidence that you are with us. You are a mighty one. You are a terrible one. You are an awesome one. There's none like unto thee. In the heavens, there's none like unto thee. In the earth, there's none like unto thee. None that can prevail against you. Maseke brande yakasata. Rambo kosokoto. And we put our trust in you. And we put our hope in you. For you are our lifter of our countenance. You are our glory. Oh, Masheke Braneke Sede. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it shall be so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Finally, I'll, let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Hallelujah. From verses 12 and 13. Where we are going is to say that all this will turn to, for us for a testimony. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because in verse 12, Jesus said to the disciples, he said, but before all this, they shall lay their hands on you. They shall persecute you. They will deliver you up unto the synagogues and into prisons. They will bring you before kings for my name's sake. They will persecute you for my name's sake. For Jesus gave us a word of assurance. He said in verse 13, and it shall turn to you for what? A testimony. Let's lift up our voice this morning. Say, Father, whatever we are going through as individuals in families, whatever persecution, as a nation, it will turn to us for a testimony. In the name of Jesus. Father, every situation of our life will turn to us for a testimony. What we are facing in Nigeria, what is going through in our nation, the prayer that we raise up unto you, Father, on a daily basis, Father, you will turn as an occasion for us for a testimony. In the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you for we receive this assurance. We receive this assurance that every situation of life that we are confronted with will turn unto us an occasion for our testimony. Thank you, precious Father. Blessed be your holy name, Lord. For in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You are worthy to be praised and adored, O Lord. So we lift up holy hands in one accord. We are singing. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. Okay, put thou thy trust in God. Put thou thy trust in God. You know it very well, right? Put thou thy trust in God. In duty path go on. Walk in his strength with faith and hope. So shall thy works be done. I want you to pay very close attention to the lyrics of this song, particularly in this time and season. Okay, now you're used to it. Put out thy trust in God. Shall we go? Put, put thou thy trust in God. Okay, 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 put the key then. Sorry. Ah, that's too high. That's too high. Trust in God. In duty's path go on. Walk in his strength with faith and hope. So shall thy work be done. Commit thy ways to him. Thy works into his hand. And rest on his unchanging word. O heaven and earth. Command. Though years on years roll on, his covenant shall endure. Though clouds and darkness hide his path, the promised grace is sure. Give to the winds thy fears, open thee on dismay. God hears thy sighs and counts thy tears. God shall lift up thy head. Through waves and clouds and storms, his power will clear thy way. Wait thou his time, the darkest night shall end in brightest day. Live to his sovereign sway to choose and to command. So shall thou wandering on his way, how wise, how strong he is.
I invite Pastor Kay to come and share the word. Let somebody praise the Lord. Kingdom Life Seminar, praise the Lord. Okay, let's have a word of prayer before we go into the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to stand before your people again. I never take it for granted. Come and speak through me. Come and open our hearts to receive what you have prepared for us. Father, we let go and we let God. We yield completely to you, knowing that every one of us will be blessed, both those present physically and those joining us online, and even those I'll listen subsequently. Father, let everybody be blessed. Let every life be touched. Let every heart be opened to receive your word, and let our lives be transformed, and let us be light to our world. For in Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Praise the Lord. You know, I want to share a message titled, Faith Beyond the Grave. You know, let me acknowledge that this title, I had it from doctor. I'm sure people have had Faith Beyond the Grave before. If you've been coming to KLS, it's a theme that has been used. You know, and when I was asked to share a word with us today, this theme, Faith Beyond the Grave, kept coming back to me. And I've meditated on it for quite a bit. Perhaps a good place to start is to look at a few examples from the Holy Scriptures where faith worked in a way that one could describe as faith beyond the grave. I certainly can think of a few examples. I'm sure you can think of others, depending on how, you know, how you interpret that, that, that theme, right? Let me start from the popular passage in Hebrews chapter 11, 17 to 19. Hebrews 11, the heroes of our faith, 17 to 19, New King James Version reads, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. You know, if you look at that verse 19 in the Passion Translation, the way it reads, it says, Abraham's faith made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And symbolically, that's exactly what happened. In other words, because God had said, through your son Isaac, your lineage will carry on your name. In Genesis 21 verse 12, Abraham had faith that not even death could stop the fulfillment of the promise of God. You know, so literally when he was told to go and sacrifice Isaac, he was actually headed there, believing that you know, those two things could happen. You know, he could sacrifice Isaac and Isaac could rise and still fulfill this, um, this um, promise of God. Abraham believed that even if Isaac died, God will raise him from the dead to fulfill the promise he made. Through your son Isaac, your lineage will carry on your name. That's clearly an example of faith beyond the grave. It means that even the grave could not stop the promise of God. Not even death can stop or truncate the promise of God when clearly spoken. Brethren, there are many things that can represent death that could appear to be interfering with the promise of God in our lives. 
in our affairs. And I will even go further, saving in our nation. So today, I just want to bring us a word of encouragement that God's promise over our lives and our affairs will surely stand, provided we cooperate with God and exercise faith, even if we have to exercise faith beyond the grave, as Abraham did. What is that situation you are dealing with that seems to be moving or to be land or to have landed even in a place to the promise of God. You know, at times God will give you a promise. And the physical facts seem to be just not in line. You know, what is it that you're dealing with that is contrary to the will of God? You will need to exercise faith beyond the grave or faith contrary to the situation or facts on the ground. Just like Abraham did when he was asked to sacrifice Isaac. Or even when he and Sarah were well past age for bearing children. And God still said, wait for Isaac. Even though he was 100, well, I mean, from 75 all the way to 100. And in, in the case of Sarah, you know, she didn't have a child until she was 90. Let me read that passage again from Romans chapter 4, from verse 17, to remind us of this story. Romans 4, 17. By the way, before I read this passage, let me say something. You know, when you reflect on the Bible, you know, it's, 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 a very, it's obviously a very inspiring and encouraging book. But I believe the Bible could have written at this time. You need to understand that these things are set in context because they happened over time and it's almost like somebody's playing back for you something that has happened. And it can be quite powerful. So at times it's good to reflect, say if the Bible was written in my day, how would the story be written? You know, because it might encourage you in some ways. But let me read this story. This is now being told in the New Testament, something that happened very early in the Old Testament. Romans chapter 4 from verse 17, New Living Translation reads, that is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Assuring us, God, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Today, I want us to meditate on another Bible classic that demonstrates beyond the grave. You know, and the reason I like this Bible classic is that it has many lessons and life applications for us you know, even beyond the theme, faith beyond the grave. So I'm going to be reading that story of Lazarus from John chapter 11. And I will read, I will read the story. I mean, the story is actually a long one. I'll read the story from verse 1 all the way through to 44. Then I'll share just a few lessons. But please pay attention to the story because there are so many lessons in it that may apply to you. Whereas I'm going to share only a few points from it. A man, I'm reading from the New Living Translation again. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who let her pour the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. 
her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They, th they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I am glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. <laughs> when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house of consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see Verse 35, then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a, a stone rolled across its, in, its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. 
then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. I'm sure you will agree with me. Plenty lessons, you know, so many. An interesting thing when you meditate on scripture like this is that like you can, you can find lessons upon lessons upon lessons. That's why it's good to have a theme so that you can narrow your focus a bit, you know? <laughs> so even though there are many lessons, we will focus on only a few of them that are more closely related to this message I've titled, you know, Faith Beyond the Grave. And I start from verse 4 for that reason. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. One of the most important principles for exercising faith beyond the grave, the, you know, the theme we are meditating on today, is to focus on what God has said. You have to say, what has God said on this matter? And what is God saying? This is particularly powerful, and what is weight in gold, when God has spoken about a specific situation. You know, when you have a rema. In fact, I believe that this is partly what doctor talks about when he speaks about the subjective guidance. In other words, in addition to the word of God itself, in black and white, it's good for the Holy Spirit to stay it up, to guide you, to know specifically how it relates to this situation you are dealing with. You know, we must always rely and draw from the scriptures in every situation for sure. Having said that, though, the word of God takes on a special significance when we have a rema, when we have a revelation, or God speaks to us specifically about a matter. And I believe that that is why, you know, we're in Kingdom Life Seminar. We want to be able to walk with God in a way that is living. So, yeah, you know, experiencing the living world. Even in a situation like this, you know, you have to say, what is God saying to me? What is God saying to you? You know, and it's good when you have that dynamic, living, fellowship, communion, interaction with him. And God will also often speak to you. Not, I don't know if you're like me. I mean, there are over maybe 7 billion people on earth. Or is it 6 billion? It's a lot of people. You know, and the point is that like, even if you dealt with Christians alone, we're still a large number. The question is like, how does this situation relate to you? How does it relate to me? You have to get guidance. You have to get revelation. This is why we must always desire and hunger to hear God and to be led by his Holy Spirit. It's a very practical thing we're talking about. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. Whether you want to get a perspective on the nation, a perspective on your family, a perspective even on this Kingdom Life Seminar, you have to say, God, why am I here? You know, and God will speak to you if you hunger and thirst for his word. Jesus said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God. So that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Of course, we know the rest of the story. Lazarus actually died. But Jesus exercised faith beyond the grave. In other words, the death of Lazarus, you know, beyond the grave and beyond the death of Lazarus. And Lazarus came back to life at the end of the story. And this brought great glory to God, the Father, and Jesus, the Son. Just like Jesus, Jesus said when he was told that Lazarus was sick, he said, this, is, this will bring us great glory. But of course, when you hear that, your first reaction will be, okay, it means he will heal him immediately. You know, not knowing that great glory means death before the healing or the coming back to life. You know, and I pray that every situation mocking what God has said in your life will experience a great turnaround in Jesus' name and bring great glory to God in Jesus' name. You know, in verse 6, he says he stayed where he was for the next two days. The question is this apparent delay. You know, as you know, this apparent delay means that Lazarus' situation deteriorated to the point of death. 
and even his burial. Why did Jesus wait or delay in going to attend to the situation? Why did he take his time? You know, Jesus himself gives us the answer. He says, this situation will bring glory to God. In everything he did, brethren, Jesus' focus, Jesus' eyes were always on what will bring God glory and what will bring him great glory. And it will help us a lot if we also have that perspective. Because at times, we are so consumed with the immediate situation that like, we just want a solution. But in the context of what's going on, there's also this glory part of it for God. And God at times may, you know, play a different hand because that hand will bring greater glory to him. All things said. You know, just to uh, reinforce this point that Jesus' focus was on bringing glory to God. Let me read John 17, verses 4 to 5 from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. It says, um, John 17 from verse 4, it says, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. You know, wouldn't it be good if we lived our life just like Jesus did, to glorify God on earth? So you can also say, I glorified you on earth. That's what I did. You know, but the interesting thing is that when you want to glorify God, you actually need God to guide you. Why? Because God knows what to do in order to receive maximum glory from every situation if we cooperate with him. He knows what to do. He knows what will give him maximum glory. You know, like I was telling somebody when we were, you know, discussing some of these things. You know, the Bible says that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. In other words, what you can come up with, I'll give him glory. In your wisest imagination and thinking is nothing compared to what he'll come up with when he's just being foolish, in quotes. When he hasn't even expressed his wisdom. That's why that gap means that we have to listen to him. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. You know, his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That means that if you want to give God glory, you know, you have to consult the higher way, because that might bring higher glory. You know? And I believe that like some of the things we're dealing with will bring God higher glory. You know, I remember that doctor often tells us to leave the how to God. That's part of the reason why he says leave the how to God. The way God may go about accomplishing what he has said may, may be counter to our human wisdom. Or we may only fully understand it and the wisdom of God's ways after the fact, like the stories we read, like the story of, you know, um, um, Abraham and Sarah, or even the, the, the story in Genesis 22, how he was asked to sacrifice Isaac. You know, those stories make sense today, living after the fact. But you know, this thing of life and death, God has sacrificed a son, and he's not, and he literally says that. You know, it must have been a, 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 a trying experience, you know, to put it mildly. As my mentor always used to tell us, you know, we live life for us, but we understand it when we look back. We can now look back on the story of Lazarus, which is so widely known as a true Bible classic. Because of how he died, how he was buried and how he rose again. In fact, Lazarus is now used as, as you know, a figure of speech. When people talk about Lazarus, this Lazarus, that. They're talking about the dead things coming back to life. You know, in fact, um, <laughs> um, I remember I was, um, I was reading, um, I don't know if, so, some of you would have read this classic by Kenneth Hagin. He wrote one of this book, How to Be I think it was like his, um, you know, like his grand 
grandpa, right? His grandpa that he lived with during that season. And the man, according to him, was a man of few words. Because he, he was basically paralyzed. And could not be, he prepared, and one morning he went to join them at breakfast. He said, when the father saw him, the grandpa saw him, he said, has, has Ross risen from the dead? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and the man knew exactly what the man was saying. He said, yeah, 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 grandpa. In other words, what kind of miracle is this? You are supposed to be in bed, bed reading. How come you are standing? You know? So God knows how to bring glory to his name. And that's why today, the story of Lazarus is, you know, just the way to describe an incredible, impossible miracle. A reference point. Of course, in any difficult or challenging situation, we find out, in any difficult or challenging situation, we find ourselves, we want immediate answers. And delays can pose such a trial of faith, you know? But there are many times when God would allow the situation to deteriorate in order to bring glory to his name and to catch the attention of a doubting or distracted world. Remember what was said? In fact, some of you that are students of the Bible will know that it was said that like part of the reason why Christ or Jesus allowed Lazarus to stay in the grave for four days was that like there was a belief that within a particular frame of time, the person can still come back. And that was almost viewed as within the realm of human existence, right? Maybe a day, maybe two, but four days. Then the spirit should have left. The man is dead, buried, gone. You know, and the world is like that till today. Most things you do, you call miracle. The world explains it. But after the fact, in fact, I have to pinch myself when God answers prayers. Because there's a tendency when God answers prayers for it to just fit in, just look so normal. she will eventually determine how much money will be released from the boss. Because she basically was in control. You know, the foreign exchange used to come mostly from Forex. The reason I tell you this is that, like, even at that time, we had lived with a stubborn problem. Right? And today, we had lived with a stubborn problem. And I believe that God wants to do something so miraculous that when he does it, you know, people won't be saying that, like, ah, ah but it's normal. That, I mean, anybody that is in government knows that if you do the wrong thing, you go to jail. Why are you acting as if righteousness is not a very normal thing? Why are you acting as if, do you know anybody that has gone to government and stolen before? People don't steal in government. And yet, in Nigeria, we can't say that today. But I believe God that a new wave is coming in Jesus' mighty name. I believe that this is a situation we're facing in Nigeria. In other words, a situation where God wants to prove to a doubting world. You know, he has said we'll go from corruption to righteousness. So the corruption is so evident that even the doubting Thomases will have to agree that this was a remarkable, supernatural, divine turnaround as God brings this new Nigeria in Jesus' mighty name. 
So that season of corruption that Pa Elton said will be followed by a season of righteousness is what we are looking to transition from. The season of corruption has continued to deteriorate over so many years. I believe there are signs that God is dismantling the corruption and the corrupt systems that have held Nigeria.
know what I mean? That's why it's so important to hear from him. And you know that God will speak to you as the father speaks to the child. If you seek him, you will find him. You know, if you knock on the door, he will open. And I pray that we'll learn to listen and to hear in Jesus' mighty name. So, we must confront whatever we're dealing with today with what God has said. I can think of a number of situations in my own life where God has spoken to me and I continue to draw encouragement from God's promise, especially when the facts on the ground seem to be contrary. And this is such a practical thing. It can relate to everyday life. It can relate to family. It can relate to marriage. It can relate to work. It can, you know, because you just have to know where you stand with God on the matter. And make it clear that's your choice. And my own experience is that when you do that, God will give you avenues for your faith to stand. You know, but if you, if, you, if, you, if you keep your focus on the situation or you, instead of looking up, you look down, ah, the wave can also sweep one away. May the wave not sweep you away in Jesus' name. In verse 35, the Bible says Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. Let me quote a Bible uh, commentary on this just to explain at least the way Bible scholars understand the scripture, which may at times differ from the way it's used in the world day to day. You know, he says, yes, Jesus loved Lazarus, as, I, as the Bible says in John chapter 11, verse 5. But he knew he would raise him. In other words, Jesus knew that Lazarus would rise. Therefore, his grief, therefore he held no grief over his death. In other words, Jesus must be weeping over something else, not just the death of Lazarus, no. He was emotional about the lost people he came to save, as evidenced here and in other gospel accounts. In other words, I've had it said, and I believe it's a, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a proper interpretation of this scripture, that Jesus' weeping was also for the unbelief. You know, just the people, the way they carried on, as if the God factor did not matter. Even when he showed up, they were weeping as if, let's just, you know, we're mourning the dead here, yeah, that's what it's all about. It wasn't about life, it wasn't about the word of Rema, you know, it was just, and the question for us is this, would our unbelief today also cause Jesus to weep? If he came into our situation today, will they say Jesus wept? You know what I mean? And we may think we're being quite innocent. Oh, things are so bad. Oh, we're mourning, we're this. But are we, also, are we even in tune with him? You know, what will he make of the church and Christians today? Are we causing him to weep? You know, doctor always say, you know, in fact, this, I call this doctor's anguish. When he talks about the church and the missed opportunities to disciple the people, to disciple the nation, you know, that's the kind of weeping Jesus was weeping. Jesus wept. You know, is there nothing that can be done with all these people? Sheep without a shepherd, astray? Could our religious society that sits so comfortably with, a brazen, with brazen corruption in our society cause him to weep? Not the way we are in church on Sundays and on Monday, we just blend in. And it's a perfect blend. It's not an uncomfortable blend. It's not like there's tension. You know what I mean? It's not like there's friction. It's not like the society is in crisis. Things are actually quite, you know, <laughs> you know, I've spent time in Abuja. Emeka was there. You know, thank God for Emeka. Emeka is very calm, by the way. You know, because, you know, you go there, at times you just get exasperated. You know, because these guys are very calm. Doesn't matter what you say. You get offended, they're very calm. I remember my permanent secretary. He never raises his voice. He said, what do you want to do, honorable minister? You know, it's like, what do you want? You know, because the system is there, working out his own things without any respect for, you know, this um, righteousness we're talking about. But the question is, what would Jesus make of the church today and our society? 
may we fall in line in Jesus' mighty name. In verse 40, which is really right at the heart of my message, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? Did I not tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? You know, some versions say, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And this is really at the very heart of the message I have for us today. Jesus said to them, in fact, if you look at the NRSV, he puts it in pastor. He said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? In other words, your belief should precede the facts. I remember a story that made an impression on me many years ago. I had um, worked for Arthur Anderson at the time. You know, then I went to do my master's abroad. So one day I came back to Nigeria. So I came to the firm to greet my friends. So one of the staff, you know, one of the staff saw me. I was just surprised, you know, and was like, is it okay? Is this you? And I must, say, I must have said something like, seeing is believing. Better believe you. And I remember what the lady, it was a lady. I remember what she said to me. She said, no, believing is seeing. She must have been, you know, like a Christian that was invested in her faith. Because she corrected me immediately. She said, no. But the way she corrected me is what I remember. That's why I never forget it. Because I thought I made a very innocent, regular. I said, see, you know, it's like, yeah, seeing for real. Seeing is believing. I said something like, seeing is believing. She said, no. I said, believing is seeing. You know? So we greeted, but that thing never, you know, I never forgot. And I still haven't forgotten. This must have happened close to maybe 30 years ago. You know? And this is what the scripture is saying. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you will see God's glory? You know, so at times we have to check. Thank God that we've been praying about it. We've prayed about it even in the morning prayers, even in the prayers today. It's about this. This faith thing is a big deal. This believing, it's a big deal. And we need to invest in it. I believe that that's what this Kingdom Life Seminar is primarily about. To get invested in the faith. To get invested in believing. You know, to have a position that is not just willy-nilly. Because the way things are going, to be honest, you know, Nigeria just seems to have its own redeem and it's as if they can just carry on. But there is a faith dimension to it. There's a God dimension to it. There's a promise dimension to it. And the question is, where are we standing on that matter? And I believe that is why we are praying. And I believe that's why God wants to encourage you and to encourage me this morning. So we do not give up. I believe that nothing will abort God prom God's promises to us of a new Nigeria in Jesus' name. In fact, you know, you could interpret part of my message of, of faith beyond the grave as that. Because it has been said that for these people like Pa Elton, who lived a life of faith and had a covenant with God, ah, when they spoke, and after they spoke, they died. It's like Joseph. Joseph said, take my bones with you when you are living. You know, those things are like faith that is still working beyond the grave. Because even though they have gone, the words they spoke are marble. They are not going away. Because those words have been sealed, you know, with a covenant that is established. They are not coming back to undo it. You know, and I believe it's the same thing with this word that has been spoken over Nigeria. And that we just have to, like some people have said, I don't know, I mean, we prayed that prayer maybe earlier in the morning, to say, this generation, we are the ones that have a choice to make. Because if this generation is not ready, I believe God will just pass to the next generation. In fact, you know, let me share a testimony with you, personal testimony. You know, some of the dreams God has shown me, you know, concerning the next generation, say like my children, 
he tells me that he already has plans for them. So the question is that like for my generation, what are we doing? So that it's not like God is just waiting for us to pass on so that those plans will just start to run. You know? Just, that's why I'm glad, I'm glad my mom is still around. Just, you know, she talks about also the promises God made concerning her own children. You know? <laughs> so we have to make sure that those promises come into full manifestation in Jesus' mighty name. May God have mercy on us. I believe that God's promises over my life, over my family, over my affairs will surely come to pass. You know, many years ago, God said to me that his promises to me are my greatest assets. And I still, it's something I'm still digesting, but it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, in, in accounting, there are things we call intangible assets. Assets you can't touch. Just like the Bible says, I, I give example, it says goodwill. You know, your reputation, your goodwill. It's not physical, but frequently it can be worth more than the physical assets. You know, so it's the same thing. The promises God has made to us are more valuable than the physical things we have. You know, these are, these, are, these are precious assets that God wants you to guard jealously and to live in line with it. Look at the story of Joseph. He had a dream, which I know was inspired by God. But there were things that wanted to, you know, blight and undermine that dream. Like, you know, um, um, is it Potiphar is his name? The, 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 the Potiphar's wife. You know, who was... You know, bent. I was going to say hell bent. You know, on on truncating Joseph, and Joseph had to flee, had to run. May we value as precious the promises of God in our lives and to us in Jesus' mighty name. Even when the evidence appears contrary, I choose to believe God. I pray for faith beyond the grave. Even when the promise is past its due date by human reckoning, and I add by human reckoning. That's why we're looking at the story of Lazarus today. Because by human reckoning, definitely, Jesus was late. You will agree with me that if somebody is sick, they expect to get healed before they die. You know, by human reckoning. But in this case, by God's reckoning, a great event was unfolding that was going to bring great glory to God. And the situation, you know, went beyond the level or, or the reckoning of men. You know, God was able to raise him up from the dead because, you know, God had spoken, said this illness is not unto death. So even if death came in the physical, it could not truncate the word of God. Hebrews 11 verse 19, the New King James Version. This was talking about Abraham and Isaac, but it's very relevant. It says, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead. You know, I'm paraphrasing from that scripture. What promise of God or God's word to you needs to be revived today? Like I said, this is a word of encouragement to us. Whatever God has said to you, treat it as precious, even if it needs to be revived today. God is saying to you, did I not tell you that if you believed, if you believe that word I spoke to you, you will see the glory of God. You know, let me share a bit of my personal testimony here, just to illustrate this. You know, my father died in 1990. When my father died in 1990, my three younger brothers were still in college. I had just come out and I just had joined Anderson. I was, you know, in the earliest part of my career. You know, the reason I remember this story when I was thinking about this message was that, like, I remember at the time, my mom, you know, who was much younger then, and I mean, that started three years ago, who was much younger then, her hair was white. For my brother, Uzo, said that my mom's age dropped by, you know, maybe 15 or 20 years, you know, as she invested in the faith. Because I tell you, my mom's faith 
is practical because her situation was desperate. You know, even before them, because my dad had been, you know, unwell for part of the time, and people were like, ah, all these young children, wouldn't you find a way to get them, you know, like, maybe doing something, you know, like, you know, some kind of apprenticeship, you know, just something to relieve the pressure. But somehow, God had spoken to her. God had given her a word. You know, you know, she had clear promises in God. And I believe that, like, those promises have just unfolded in the, in the process of time. And that's why her life, you know, has also reflected that. Because, you know, it's as if she's renewed, honestly. And I believe that, like, in fact, at the stage, she said in the 80s, when she was praying, God said to her, hurry, hurry, God is not in a hurry. You know? Hurry, hurry, God is not in a hurry. You know, so I'm praying that like you too, whatever God has said to you, that you will stand the test of time and that promise will surely come to pass in Jesus' mighty name. I mean, look at the promise that God made to Paelton. You know, I believe it's an example of faith beyond the grave, like I said, made in the 80s. You know, but we are still, you know, like, in fact, from a, from a point of view of, you know, being alive spiritually, I believe that like, you know, in the, in the prayers we're praying in careless, that this is a season for manifestation. A season, you know, for that scripture. Because, you know, even, as you know, when scripture is spoken, it's like the story of Anna and Simeon. You know, when the time comes, God will also speak to the people who are alive then, who are sensitive in the spirit. You know, and I pray that we're those sort of Christians. When the season of righteousness comes, it will not pass us by. You know, let me tell you part of the reason why I say this. You know, God spoke to me in 2010. You know, and he said to me in 2010 that, you know, he's looking for apostles of righteousness. KLS started in 2011. In 2010, he spoke. It was very clear. In fact, in 2009, I had a dream. Some of you have had this testimony. I had a dream in 2009. This was a marketplace dream or a dream that, you know, the setting was in a marketplace. And in that dream, you know, we went to somebody's house to, you know, maybe have a meeting, like a meeting that you have, um, um, you know, um, a business meeting. And the man told us to go upstairs, you know, maybe to either go and get something. We went there and there were all kinds of idols upstairs. And people started to bow down to these idols, you know. And I was calling Jesus, Jesus, you know, in the dream and I woke up. And when I woke up, I kind of sensed this was talking about idolatry. But not long after that, a few months after that, God started to speak to me that he's still looking for apostles of righteousness in the marketplace. He's looking for them. You know? And I believe that our search is still on. And I believe that careless is partly, you know, the, you know, God's answer to that. To raise apostles, to raise disciples who will go there and live a life that will bring glory to him in Jesus' mighty name. Let's just go on in the interest of time. In verses 41 to 42, you know, the Bible says, again, reading from the New Living Translation, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Jesus taught us in these verses how to pray the prayer of faith. I believe that there is a way you pray the prayer of faith. And you have to be careful to ask yourself, am I praying the prayer of faith? The prayer of faith is like what that lady said to me at Anderson. Believing is seeing, you know, or what the Bible says in, you know, in, um, in um, John eleven forty, you know, did I not say that if you believed, you will see the glory of God. So look at how Jesus prayed. He said, Father, thank you for hearing me. 
when he got to the grave. He said, what? Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Jesus taught us in these verses how to pray the prayer of faith. The Bible says in Mark 11, 22 to 24, popular scripture, Mark 11, 22 to 24, New King James Version. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. How do we demonstrate faith in our prayers? The prayer of faith believes God. How do you demonstrate that you believe God? The prayer of faith believes God, God has said, and what we are praying for will come to pass. In other words, he believes that a thing will come to pass in the physical and it's probably already happened in the spiritual. Therefore, the prayer of faith goes on to thank God for the answer to the prayer in advance of the physical manifestation. So you find that the prayer of faith is laden with thanksgiving. And it's not ritualistic thanksgiving like, you know, what you're saying as if it's, you know, the way in my, in my church, we, when we're talking about the reasons to give thanks, one of the first ones we say is that it is a command. And it is a command. You know, but beyond being a command, it's also an expression of faith. You know, you believe that God has done it. Therefore, you are thanking him with a heart of what? Gratitude. Thank you for answering me. And God sees the heart. Thank you for answering me. Can you imagine somebody who is praying for this new Nigerian righteousness or, and he's thanking God for it already? You know, and, or in that situation you are dealing with in your own family or in your own affairs, and you are thanking God, but the thanking is genuine. It's not just something you are saying in case you answer, then receive the thanks. If you don't answer, then the thanks is not bad anyway. You know, may God help you, may God help me in Jesus' mighty name. Jesus taught us how to pray the prayer of faith in John 41, 42. Father, thank you for hearing me. And I pray we will follow in the footsteps of Jesus and mix our prayers with faith and thanksgiving. You know, and it takes a journey to get there. I kid you not. It takes a journey. I need to go on that journey of faith. You need to go on that journey. Faith is progressive. Faith is progressive. And I believe that faith comes from knowledge like we were taught earlier this morning. It also comes from revelation. If you go and check the Bible, a lot of people who exercise the kind of faith we're talking about that really Jesus is talking about here, they had encounters with God. Look at the story of Moses. You know, look at Abraham's story. Look at Gideon. You know, look at Paul, you know, Saul turned Paul in New Testament. I'm not saying that your, your encounter has to be as spectacular, but you have to hunger to experience it. You know, I always tell people that, you know, there's a songwriter that says that, God, you are greater than what people say. Meaning that, like, it doesn't matter what testimonies I've had, what I've experienced is greater. I believe that this is true for everybody who has a personal relationship with God. It doesn't matter the testimonies you hear. You will have a sense that what God has done for me, what he's doing for me, ah, it's even greater than the things I've had people say. You know, and I pray that God will reveal himself to you in Jesus' name. Particularly in that place of prayer. In that thing where you want to see his glory. So that that way, you will be in a, you know, in a place where your prayer of faith will be laden with thanksgiving. You know, it will be positive. It will be, it will be full of energy. And even when 
you know, it requires a journey of faith. You know, even when it requires a journey of faith. Let's go on. In verse 44, the Bible says in verse 44, and he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, lose him and let him go. One of the biggest obstacles to faith and exercising faith beyond the grave is how to get rid of our old habits or what I call a status quo or business as usual. You know, like what you might call the facts on the ground. If I go back to that story of Jenny Hagen, I mean, the guy was lying there bedridden. You know, after a while, I think the Holy Spirit said to him that people who have been healed, do they lie in bed? You know, after he was asked that question a few times, he started, you know, trying to get out of bed. And eventually he did. So the first, and then after a while, he saw there's this sort of energy. That is when he acted on the word, that the energy, sort of energy came. You know, so one of the biggest obstacles to faith is, to exercising faith beyond the grave is, how do I get rid of these old habits or old patterns or business as usual or what I'm used to, which is really, because habits are very powerful. I can tell you that, you know, there are a number of areas where I am trying to just make some adjustments. But I know that the biggest challenge is that I have to adjust the habits. In other words, I have to change my routine. You know, otherwise, you think about it, you talk about it, then you just find your body flowing with your routine, whatever that routine is. Which is why they say we first form habits, then our habits form us. You know? And I pray that like we will break out of old habits that are not consistent with our faith in Jesus' mighty name. So that we can exercise this faith beyond the grave. What has Jesus resurrected that needs to be loosed and let go in your life today? You know? He said, lose him and let him go. Is there something that has experienced resurrection and Jesus has spoken over it? You have prayed over it. You know it's been done, but the physical thing, you need to act on it. The Bible says in John 2, sorry, James, James chapter 2, verse 14. Again, New Living Translation. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith serve anyone? You know, just this last Saturday, Dr. Nilsson ministered, and he ministered on kings and priests unto God, standing in the gap. And it was actually a charge. It was a call to action, a call to act on our faith. Because God is looking for a righteous people that will be kings and priests unto him. That's what doctor was telling us. You know, and let me share the challenge I received on this earlier, like I said, in that uh, 2010, there was no doubt in my mind that God was calling me, you know, to be, uh, you know, a, a, an apostle of righteousness in that sense, a champion. The word apostle means champion, you know, of right, righteousness, you know. And, and on a lighter note, I'm sure you've had this story many times. This is our, our marketplace um, network, apostles in the marketplace. Ayo, do you remember the story where you went to see doctor? Huh? Ayo and Pastor John went to see doctor to say he should come and minister in the fellowship. So, I, th I don't need to ask them what they said, the name of the fellowship. They said apostles in the marketplace. I wasn't there, but I was so doctor said apostles? Apostles? You know? You know? Thank God I still came to minister. You know? Let somebody praise the Lord. God is looking for people who practice this righteousness in the marketplace. I am fully persuaded that God has called me 
And I believe he has called you too. And we must stand up and go and answer that call. In fact, I was so persuaded about it that like, you know, maybe uh, some years ago when I was turning 50, I wrote a small booklet called Apostles of Righteousness in the Marketplace. Some of you may have seen it. But I shared this testimony that I shared, but, you know, developed it a bit further. You know, and I believe that like, that's what doctor is talking about from last Saturday. And I quote what he said to us. He said, you that follow God are the signs of a good future. You know, when the people of God live godly, they become signs of a good future for their nation. And I know the Bible reference that Dr. Dave, because I confirmed it from him, is Zechariah 3 verse 8, the TEV version, you know, where it talks about those that live godly being signs of a good future. You know, and like Lazarus, we must be loosed from the deadness of life in sin and arise to the life of righteousness in Christ by being kings and priests unto our God. It's a call to action. It's a call to action. You have to respond by faith, by acting on your faith. As the Bible tells us in James chapter 2 verse 14. And we must go on to lose others. Many of us are ministers. I certainly minister in my own church. So I know that like part of the reason why God is preparing us is so that we can become, you know, change agents. We can, can, can use us, you know, to minister this word to others. So we must go on to lose others in our churches and our ministries by declaring like our Lord Jesus did to Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come forth. Come forth from the dead. Many people are dead in sin. Many people are dead in doubt. You know, and yet, you know, they're in church. And you know, if you're in church and you don't have faith, what are you doing there? Because church is a place where we exercise faith. You know, because it's all, you know, came from the risen Lord. Let somebody praise the Lord. So I pray today that you receive this word of encouragement. I pray that God will minister life to you and we will go out there and be kings and priests, even as we have been charged in Jesus' mighty name. Let us pray. Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your word of encouragement. Thank you for what you are doing in this place. I pray that none of us will live empty-handed. Father, please come and teach us to grow in faith, progressive faith, transforming faith, life-changing faith, faith that change, faith that will change us, change our families, change our nation, change our churches, and help us to fulfill destiny here on earth and to bring maximum glory to your name. So shall it be, Father, for we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, so we'll do the Holy Communion. When God of old came down from heaven, 
When God of old came down from heaven in power and wrath, he came before his feet. The clouds were riven, have darkness and have flame. But when he came the second time, he came in power and love, softer than guilt at morning prime oh but his holy love the fires that rushed on Sinai down in certain torrent rain now gently light a glorious crown on every sacred And as from Israel's awestruck ear, the voice exceeding loud, the trump that angels prayed to hear thrilled from the deep clouds. Amen. As we prepare to take the Holy Communion, I just want to remind us of what the Bible says in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. But let him examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Why don't we look inwards? The psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxieties. Point out anything in me that offends you. Why don't you ask God to point out anything for which you need to be cleansed and washed with his precious blood so that you can come to him blameless even as you partake of this holy communion. Do you have aught against your brother? Is there any unforgiveness for which you need to ask for the grace, the grace to forgive right now? Why don't you do so? Is there somebody you need to go and make peace with? Why don't you do so? Is there anything that where you just want to make peace with God? The Father. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. This is a good time to do so. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we consecrate this bread in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. As we partake of this meal and this Holy Communion, Lord, may we remember you. May we walk in your footsteps. May our faith be strengthened. May our lives be quickened. May we go out there and be kings and priests. 
And may your glory fill this nation and the whole earth in Jesus' name. You may eat. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Father, we consecrate this cup in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that as we partake of this wine, as we partake of this wine, may we be one with Christ.